0: Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk All Things LGBTQ+. I'm Annie McKinnon, an authenticity coach, therapist, speaker, writer and podcaster. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about me, then please visit my website www.coachingcart.com and if you'd like to get in touch or even feature on the show, send me an email over to info at coachingcarp.com. And as always, I will put that information in the description below. I'd also really appreciate if you could uh, rate the show and even send over some comments if you've anything in particular you would like to hear about. And today I will be introducing you to Paula Miller. Paula is an award-winning, master's-trained nutrition coach who loves Lindor chocolate. In her weight-neutral, size-inclusive practice, Sunrise Nutrition Consulting, Paula and her team passionately help individuals challenge harmful nutrition beliefs, reclaim joyful eating, and find peace with food. Her greatest satisfaction is helping people let go of guilt to embrace all food, overeating, undereating and binges. Along with her nutrition education, she is a licensed B-Body Positive facilitator. She currently speaks to audiences about ditching the guilt for joyful eating making peace with their here and now bodies and helps individual clients struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders, leave food restriction and body loading behind. Along with this evidence-based information, she also brings real world experiences from her own disordered eating past, her varied patient experiences and her role as a mom feeding two young children. In her spare time, Paula enjoys time in nature, walking or gardening with her kids, enjoying beautiful sunsets, attending yoga classes, and savouring tasty food and trips to the beach with her husband, a chef. So let me introduce Paula.
1: Welcome, Paula. Thanks, Annie. It's great to be here with you.
0: Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to the subject that you will be talking about today because I have a personal interest in it. Uh, but before we get to that... Let's just kick it off with a question to ask all my guests. So what would your younger self think of who and where you are right now?
1: Mom, what would my younger self think of where I'm at right now? I think uh, my younger self would feel really relieved um, because I you haven't really talked about... Um, who I am, but I am a dietitian who treats, uh, eating struggles and I help people make peace with food and my younger self really struggled with food. And so I think my younger self didn't even know that peace with food was possible. And so my younger self would be really, really relieved that there's hope for something different
0: than the struggle that, yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure our listeners will be relieved to hear that as well. And that that just takes us in nicely to talk about what you consider yourself an expert in, which is eating disorders. So can you tell us a bit about that? And I yeah. guess we where where it all started, where your journey with that started?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so and, and I do consider myself an expert in eating disorders, like you say, and not only eating disorders, but also disordered eating, which is the larger chunk of the population. There may be not a diagnosed eating disorder, but they're struggling with food. They don't feel peaceful about it. And I feel like an expert in helping people get to feel peaceful about food. Um, so this started for me, I would say, Ooh, at I, so many of my clients come to me around 11, 12, 13 years old. Um, they recognize that they're, they started to think that their body wasn't okay around 8, 9, 10, often because of a comment from a family member, a, um, a pediatrician or a doctor or a coach or pe teacher physical education teacher wow so at that, that that's, young
0: age eight, yeah from as young as the 8 years old are yeah. are starting to i guess struggle with with body image yes wow.
1: yes um with with just this feeling that their body's not right in one way or another right and and so for me i feel i don't know what age it was i feel like it was around the age of 10 my grandpa made a comment and that was the comment that started to spur mine knowing that my body wasn't okay and i find you know i ask my clients when did you first notice this when did you know that your body wasn't okay the way it is and they can usually pinpoint to something like that and, and I,
0: so- I sorry for interrupting but i think that's bringing up for me how as adults we really need to be aware of what, what we say to other people roundabout is because what might seem like, feel like a flippant comment uh, can really take a child down a, a dangerous road.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I'm really careful about the therapist that I send my clients to because so many people, therapists included, don't even realize the harmful things they say. Like I was talking with a therapist one time and she said her mom had an eating disorder and she said, and she wasn't even that big. I don't know why she had an eating disorder. Well, I'm thinking at what size is it okay? Like yeah. she wasn't even that big is a really harmful statement mm-hmm. that people who are unaware don't even realize they're harming people with.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Because if everyone has got their own individual sense of, of okay and that could be to the to the extreme which again is not helpful to say to a child or anyone for that matter
1: anyone exactly anyone I have current clients and we'll kind of get them into a good rhythm with eating and then they will go to their doctor and it destabilizes their eating you know I'm looking for helping people with stable eating and it just destabilizes it but um so that's that's I'm like everyone I do what I do because I I, you know have history with all of this too Um, and so at around 10 like I said that's when I got my first oh you mean my body's not okay Um, and then when I was kind of at that teenage period when I see that a lot of people start to struggle with food my mom had a health condition, and so she started to make dietary changes—innocent dietary changes. But I saw that as an impressionable teen, and then that's kind of where things started to um, unravel for me with my relationship with food.
0: I'm I'm assuming at that point, Paula, that you had a feeling of being judged for what you looked oh, yeah. like and. And it sounds like you you were taking that from what your mom, what food your mom was preparing for you. I guess the message being you need to
1: lose weight. Right, right. And I think that I um I also was in a really small community, a small town. I am not the best in small communities. I like to be anonymous and I like variety and people who are interested in lots of things. And it just felt like there was this expectation to be something that fit into that community. And so one thing I know about people who struggle with food is that when they don't feel like they fit in, they can they then turn to the thin ideal. And so I think that's part of what, pushed my struggle with food along yeah I
0: can can totally resonate resonate with you because we were chatting just before we started recording and I myself I myself grew up with an eating disorder bulimia uh and very much around not feeling you know that I fit in you know was fitting in anywhere and it was interesting because the 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 doctor, you're talking about the medical profession, sent me to a psychiatrist, and the one thing that the only thing that I can remember her saying to me is, "Annie, what is it you're trying to throw up?" And that stayed with me right throughout my life. What is it you're trying? What is going on inside you know this mm-hmm. and at the time I couldn't interpret it. I was young, I was maybe about fourteen. But, later on, as i as I grew up, it started to make sense to me. so I get I really get it, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and that's great. you got care, you mm. know that you you got care. Not everybody gets care, and, Very and true. That, yeah, that's so great that 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 was there for you. So mm. yeah. yeah so, so and-
0: yeah, your clients.
1: Yes. Um, And I, well, and I wanted to just connect, uh, tell people why I reached out to you Mm -hmm. about this topic. Um, And, you know, we're talking about eating disorders, but I will tell you that no one thinks they have an eating disorder. I spend most of my time with new clients telling them, this is why you do These are the things you're doing, and they still are in significant denial around it. Um, And there's a greater part of the population that has disordered eating, and the behaviors are the same. They're just not significant enough to diagnose with an eating disorder. So so this topic encompasses a lot of people, right? Mm. And... Sorry,
0: can I just ask, what is the difference between eating disorder and disordered eating just for this, this podcast is listened to all around the world, but just so people have that clarification and what the difference is, if you don't mind Paula.
1: Yeah. So I am as a dietitian, I don't diagnose, but therapists and doctors diagnose, but to me, the difference is like the behaviors are very similar, right? There's restriction, there's guilt, there's shame about eating. So there's a lot of similarities with disordered eating and an eating disorder. My understanding is that the difference is that someone with an eating disorder meets um, qualification. You know, they're, they're doing certain behaviors so many times in a certain period of time, and it really is how they navigate their emotional world, how they control their emotional world. So I explained to my clients that restriction, when you restrict your intake, that temporarily regulates your nervous system. And so what they're doing is they're temporarily trying to feel safe and comfortable by restricting or purging or binging, you know, whatever it is.
0: I guess take it trying to take control of of something that something else that they're not in control of maybe would that be a bit right? Sometimes, sometimes,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes that for sure is is what's going on but really um, these like an eating disorder is what I have understood is an anxiety disorder. So there's usually a lot of anxiety or depression included. Most of my clients are on some kind of a mental health medication, or if they're not, I try to get them on one because their eating improves sure, often sure. when they get yeah. on the right medication. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I, I, I and I guess that is as you're talking that resonates with me as well, because at that time in my life there was extreme anxiety in my life. So that's really, really helpful to know. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same, same for me. Lots Mm. of, lots of anxiety and not knowing how, not, not being raised by parents who talked about things in a way that I needed to be talking about them, you know, um, highly sensitive people tend to struggle with food um, and, just if you're not shown the skills for how to deal with those strong emotions, then food becomes the way to regulate those emotions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that feels, that feels right for for what was going on in my life. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of the, the people that are listening in as well will find that really
1: useful. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's um getting, getting away from food struggles is, work but it's worth it right learning those skills to to deal with those Mm. emotions and learning the skills to feel peaceful about food too is just life-changing right so life-changing
0: yeah absolutely Yeah. yeah to stop to stop going into the bathroom with you know with your head down the toilet either making yourself sick or just not eating at all Is that's a lot of hard work, (laughs) yeah. You you know, to keep that that um, momentum up. Yeah, but I guess the feel. I guess the feeling for me was that while I was in control of that,
1: the feeling was that you you were in control of it. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I, I
0: felt I was in control of it, but clearly wasn't Uh in control of everything else that was happening round about me. So that's why I had asked you that question because that, that was how it
1: felt for me back then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that feeling that you felt that you were in control of it is what so many people feel and why they think they don't struggle and, and not, you know, you're talking about purging, but also, um, binging or Mm -hmm. um, other behaviors like I people think I should be able to control this I can control this well and then I start meeting with them and asking them to do certain things and they have no control and sometimes they're really shocked at how little control they have so it's kind of interesting as that unfolds with people
0: it's it really is an eye-opener when when you get that light bulb moment of I am actually no way in control of any of this.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's difficult. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. 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 So um I and and even not even with the eating disorder topic, but with disordered eating, for people to maybe just stand in a line at a bagel shop. That can bring up a lot of feelings for people. Um and so. Yeah, just interesting. It's such an interesting
0: topic and one that's been spoken about for years and years and years, but yet we're, we're, we're still witnessing young children, adults, people, human beings still having eating disorders. And, and we know in the media around the world, people who have passed passed away, because of the eating, certainly eating disorder that they've they've had, uh, and again showing, it, you know, they couldn't control it. Maybe they weren't getting the help, or maybe not the right help. I don't know, but yeah. it's it's really difficult to hear about someone yeah. actually dying because they've either starved themselves or purging, uh, mm-hmm. binging them, purging, and taking that nutrition uh and I guess love for themselves I take it taking that out of the equation because I think personally I think that's got a lot to do with it is that um for me it was just stopping loving myself
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know we yeah. eat because you know it comfort it maintains us it keeps us alive but I think for for me not not stopping that was a sign that I can look back now and think about not at the time that Mm -hmm. I just didn't love myself enough to keep my body uh having the nutrition and the goodness that that I deserved back then and I'm sure your clients come to you all different all different reasons
1: yeah yeah it's interesting that you say that I'm so I'm, I'm a dietitian, but I'm also a licensed be body positive facilitator through the be body positive organization, which is in California. It's 25 years old and there are five competencies as we treat body image. And one of the competencies is self-love. Yeah. 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 Self-love, self-compassion. It's so, so important for body image mm. and food struggles.
0: Yeah, and I was just I was just actually thinking about that there just when you were talking. I hadn't really really thought about that before, you know, but looking back, I think there was a lot of that involved at the time yeah. as well. Yeah. So so the what what's the work that you're you're doing in California? Uh
1: that that is an organization, the Be Body Positive. Um, it's an organization that is In California, it's home basis, California. I'm actually in Kansas, which is right in the center of the United States. And so I have taken my training through that organization and I present to different groups and I use it individually with my clients, um, and use the information in my life. It's, it's really, really helpful information. Mm. So, yeah. yeah
0: yeah and I think it would be helpful uh, when you're sending me in your links and uh, how to contact you, et cetera, that maybe if you don't mind sending in some resources where yeah. it, you know our listeners could reach out and and get help that would be that would be really useful, I think Paula,
1: yeah, definitely, definitely. I can do that, yeah, so do you want to talk about what peace with food looks like? I wonder if people even know what that looks like. I
0: was just about, about to say, what exactly does that mean? And please, please tell us what tell us about yeah. it. I'm really interested.
1: Yeah. So, um, one of my mentors, her name is Ellen Satter. She have you heard of her? I haven't actually. No. You haven't. Okay. She is a dietitian and a therapist, and so she has a definition um called normal eating that I love. And a few a few of the things in it are um, normal eating is going to the table hungry and eating until you're satisfied. Normal eating is having um cookies today and and let me pull this up.
0: I love that I love that we're doing research, you know, live <laughs> during the episode. I love that.
1: <laughs> so So Ellen Satter has coined the term eating competence, and that's what I help my patients to get to, eating competence. And the definition of eating competence is being positive, comfortable, and flexible with eating, as well as matter of fact and reliable about getting enough to eat of enjoyably nourishing foods. And so it's this idea of like being really positive and um focus being okay with enjoying eating. <laughs> I was Sorry, about to
0: say we got a dog on the show as well.
1: <laughs> yes, let me shove this one out the office.
0: That's okay. My listeners are forgiving.
1: So it's this idea of are you, you know, are you positive? Do you enjoy eating? Are do you celebrate food? Or do you come at food with a, oh, I shouldn't eat that? Um That's junk food. Like anyone who talks about food as junk, I know has some food struggles uh, because food's not junk. All food provides nutrition. Yeah. Uh, Um, Yeah, it's
0: interesting you say that because throughout my life with friends, family, whoever I've had around the amount of times, if I had a penny for every time someone said, oh, I shouldn't have that, I think I'd be a millionaire
1: by now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I know. I know. It's really... It's really sad that we see food in such a Mm -hmm. a negative light. But so this definition of normal eating, um, normal eating, could I just read this to you? Of course you can. It's kind of interesting. So normal eating is going to the table hungry and eating until you're satisfied. It's being able to choose food you enjoy and eat it and truly get enough of it, not just stopping eating because you think you should. Normal eating is being able to give some thought to your food selection so you get nutritious food but not being so wary and restrictive that you miss out on enjoyable food. Normal eating is giving yourself permission to eat because you're happy, sad, or bored, or just because it feels good. Normal eating is mostly three meals a day or four or five, or it can be choosing to munch along the way. Normal eating is leaving cookies on the plate because you'll let yourself have cookies again tomorrow, or eating more now because they taste so great. Normal eating is overeating at times and feeling stuffed and uncomfortable and undereating at times and wishing you had more. Normal eating is trusting your body to make up for your mistakes in eating. It takes up some of your time and attention, but keeps its place as only one important area of your life. In short, normal eating is flexible. It varies in response to your hunger, your schedule, your food, and your feelings. So I think that's a really beautiful definition of what normal eating looks like.
0: That is absolutely beautiful. But while you were reading that, out, what was coming into my mind was the the messages about food that that were given growing up as children and and sometimes as adults. You know, uh, you 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 won't get dessert until you've eaten the main meal. Even if you don't like the main meal, you have to eat it before you can have dessert. Or you shouldn't be too much sugar, or, you know, all those messages that we pick up from important people in our life.
1: Yeah, exactly. And when I treat people, I use two, we call them internally regulated models. So they focus on helping people return to internal regulation around food, so hunger, fullness, satisfaction. Um, And all of those things that people are telling kids, you know, you have to eat this before you can have dessert. Well, if they eat this and they're full, they're going to not use their hunger and fullness because they want to have the dessert. So I don't ever pressure children. I have one child who she eats just about every time she eats, she leaves one or two bites on her plate. I don't know why. And she's noticed this about herself too. And she's like, I don't know why I do it. I'm just done. And Mm -hmm. I never, ever pressure her to eat. Oh, come on, just eat the, just finish Mm -hmm. it. It's just a bite because I want her to be in tune with her body and I want her body to lead. So, yeah. yeah. And, And the sugar thing too, all of these, these rules that are out there around food, they they cause us to detach from our body hmm. and, and we eat with our heads instead I think of that's our
0: really, bodies. That's a really, really important point. We eat with our heads. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So many people are eating with their heads instead of their bodies. Mm-hmm. They're moving with their wrist, right? The tracker on their wrist is with yeah. what they're moving with instead of their body. And so all of my work. Um, focus is on returning people to embodiment. Let's get embodied and, you know, listen to our body in all ways.
0: Yeah. And trust and trust that because when we, and, you know, I've done it in the past, you know, when I, when I sit and I'm caught, I'm consciously asking myself those questions. Am I hungry? Okay. I don't need to eat that. Uh, And then it's about that. Making a choice and decision, isn't it? Not based on what you what you should and shouldn't eat, but more about trusting your body to tell you when you need food. And whatever that food is, then you know whether it's chocolate or you know a beef bolognese or or whatever it is, then you're able to make that choice and decision around what it is we want to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah. And I want to add to that a little bit, uh, because we don't have to always be hungry to eat, right? Okay. This is interesting. So, so many people turn, um, intuitive eating is kind of popular now it's a book and it's kind of popular. And so many people will turn that into the hunger fullness diet, Right. And so your body, bodies regulate their body size as we are internally regulated, but that doesn't mean we only eat when we're hungry. Sometimes we're going to eat at, you know, I'm going to go to a birthday party and I want to have hmm. a cupcake or a couple cupcakes and I'm not hungry. And I eat that internally regulated eaters at the next meal or a couple days later, their, their body will regulate the food in some way. Um, okay. their, their metabolic rate, we also have seen like after Thanksgiving or a big meal, like here in the U S but after a celebration and a big meal, um, the next day, the body's metabolic rate increases. So okay. the body has these functions for keeping weight at homeostasis, right? Homeostasis is Like our body temperature is always at a certain temperature. The body, if we go into a cold room, the body Mm -hmm. knows how to keep us at the right temperature. Same with weight.
0: Okay. So just so I'm clear, because what's mumbling about in my head at the moment is that if I eat what I want, when I want, then I am going to be really overweight.
1: Uh huh, And that's what lots of people... Think that's the most scary part of giving themselves permission is that they think their eating is going to out, go out of control. Okay, but that is not what I see in practice.
0: Okay, so can and, you explain that a bit to me then?
1: Yeah. So, um, so we want to do a good job of supporting our eating. So we want to we want to have some kind of a rhythm with eating where we're providing for ourselves, not depriving. Because I have been an intuitive eater, et cetera, for 20 years, but I still don't even recognize my own hunger sometimes. And unless I stop and offer myself food and sometimes even I have to take a bite and I'm like, oh, I am hungry. And then I keep eating.
0: Yeah. So that that's an example. What I hear a lot is people in the working environment, they will work through lunch, but actually not eat. Yes. Mm. Yes.
1: Yeah. And that can be, you know, why, why aren't they stopping to eat? When I start to dig into that, there's reasons.
0: Of course. Yeah.
1: You know, I have a client hers is around meal planning. She does not, it brings up a lot for her to consider planning for her eating because the only shot time she's planned for her eating is when she was trying to change her shape or size. Okay. So even trying to plan around eating brings up a lot because there's so much deprivation included in that. She doesn't know how to plan to enjoy eating. And that's something that she needs to learn to soothe her relationship with food and get at peace and allow her body to um, be where it needs to be. I don't know if I answered your question. What was your question? Did I miss your... Uh, do you know, do you know? I'm just
0: so interested in, in listening. I think what I, what I was saying was my mind was a bit muddled around if I want to eat something and when I want to eat something, then I would probably be three sizes larger. I would put on weight. And then that's when you went in to explain about that's what most people think will happen. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about the... You know, when I said about people not having a lunch break, then I guess that is going to tie into metabolism, isn't it? If you're not, if you, if you're running out 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 the door in the morning with a coffee and a banana or whatever it is you have first thing, you skip lunch. And then by the time you, you travel home, it might be seven o'clock in the evening before you're eating. And then it's it's either snack food or a huge big meal. I guess then there's got to be something about your metabolism, either increasing or decreasing. Would I be right in saying that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um So metabolism is kind of like a fire is the way I've heard it explained, right? You've got to feed it logs throughout the day for it to continue to burn. And it's amazing how my clients can, um, they can eat very little, be in a large body. Because Annie, one misconception about eating struggles and eating disorders is they happen in skinny bodies. Yeah. I have very few clients in skinny bodies. Anorexia happens most in people who are in larger bodies. And so these people are in large bodies, but they're not eating enough. And so it's a real misconception in the medical world, et cetera, that people are in big bodies because they eat too much. That's not true. People in large bodies who are not eating very much have bodies that are wonderfully surviving. They are the people who would survive famines. Their bodies are really, really wise and really, really good. But in our um, current day mindset, we think they're eating when no one's looking, which is not true. And we think they would be skinny if they weren't. And that's not true either.
0: Okay. So those, are, really those are some
1: misconceptions. Yeah. And mm. And many of my clients struggle to believe they have an eating issue because they live in a larger body as well. So uh, that was a caveat. I forget where I came from. What was I? Saying? <laughs> I apologize. Well,
0: what, what I was really thinking about um, was what you spoke about earlier before we came became uh, recording. Was the trans community, and yeah. I'd like I'd like to hear a bit about that because I think you know our our listeners will will be keen to hear about that.
1: Yeah, right. So um, as I told you before we started recording, eating disorders in the general population are at a rate of 9%, like 9 to 10% altogether. Eating disorders in the trans population are 20%, so higher than in the general population. And what's really interesting too, is that eating disorders among nutrition students is at 50%. Yeah. So what we have is nutrition students who then become dietitians and nutritionists who are teaching people to eat while they have an eating disorder. It's really, really problematic. I have treated nutritionists who come to my office for meal support. We eat together so that they're making sure they're eating and then they leave and they go teach women and children about nutrition. What
0: do you think that's about, Paula? Someone studying nutrition to be a dietitian, but at the same time is experiencing an eating disorder?
1: Yeah. So, an undernourished brain will think about food. My clients come to me and they are thinking about food 70, 80, 90% of the day. A normal eater thinks about food 20% or less of the day, right? And so, people, I've heard pastry chefs too, are so people who often have eating disorders. I have a friend that works at higher level and she said she gets a lot of pastry chefs. Um, so when you're not nourishing your body, when you're not eating, and when I say nourishing your body, I like all food has nutrition, right? Pizza has nutrition, uh, cookies have nutrition, soda has nutrition, it all has nutrition. So when you're not nourishing your body, your brain's thinking about food. And so these as students, we become very interested in food and nutrition. And so you go into that degree when you're actually not nourished well. And, and my own story is that my nutrition program helped me to become nourished better because I really did not understand some things about nutrition because, what, because of what, all the information that's out there that just scares you about food and nutrients. So I had cut things out that are perfectly fine to eat. And so I became nourished better through my understanding of nutrition. But there are students that, because of the way education is set up, they become more restrictive. Um, that that fifty percent is orthorexia, which is not a in the. Do you have the DSM, or do or is that just a US thing? That's how mental health conditions are diagnosed. I haven't I haven't heard of it. Okay, well. So orthorexia is this an un- is an obsession with eating clean, essentially. So an obsession with eating healthy foods. And people feel guilt if they are not eating healthy foods. Okay. And they feel like morally better than other people for not, you know, good and bad food. That- okay. That's that's where nutrition students often often lie.
0: I can't believe that's fifty percent. That's about for yeah. shocker sure, actually, yeah. So, yeah. but back to the trans community. Do you yes. have experience of working with any uh, <laughs> transgender people that you can give us some insight of what is going on for them with yeah. body image? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I can I can give you a some ideas from what I have experienced. You know, it's just this someone who is born female and is either transitioning or is identifying as male and in this body that has, for depending on how someone's body is built genetically, in this body that has curves, right? And so because this body has curves that they don't identify with, that don't feel like it embodies who they are, they then restrict their intake and can end up with the eating disorder. Hmm. Whenever there's any kind of binging in someone's eating, I, as a nutrition professional, am always looking for restriction. Where's the restraint? Restraint causes the binging, not for everyone. There's some really over-controlled people, but that's what I'm looking for. Uh. So is that kind of what you were asking? Is that what you're looking for?
0: Yeah, so I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking you're saying if there's a male transitioning to female, is that right? And then they they begin to have curves. That's because that's new for them. Because in my mind, I'm thinking if there's a male transitioning to female, that's maybe what they'd be looking for, is those
1: curves. No, so I so I have worked with people who are born female, uh huh, and female, are right. transitioning, yeah. And so because their female genetics mm-hmm. um, are more curvy right. than they would imagine a male body to be,
0: so it's it's what it's female to male, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, okay, yep, yeah, I get that
1: is what I that's what I have experienced
0: Mm, mm. and what were you saying the the percentage of transgender people with um eating disorders was again roughly closer
1: closer to 20 percent closer to 20 okay double that in the general population
0: Mm,
1: wow yeah
0: it's hard to think about as well it's hard for me to think about because i don't know if it's because i've gone through it myself as a child but those percentages are still high yeah and from what what i've what i've heard from you is that maybe the medical profession doesn't help that statistic right What's your experience of that? I mean, it's going to be different around the world, but certainly in the
1: U.S. Yeah, in the U.S., what I have seen is that my my clients, number one, and I'm thinking primarily of my trans clients, number one. It can it can just be a scary like in the medical world. There is this power dynamic. Yeah. Right. You are the patient. You do what I say. You and and and, a, and unless you have a really compassionate provider, it can mm. be a really unpleasant experience to go to a doctor. Yeah, and then you have that additional layer of of being trans or of having pronouns that aren't commonly accepted, and there's just another layer of scariness to going to a provider. And so what I've seen when I've treated people is they, um, they've really getting them the care they need is really scary for them or has been. Mm. And that is so hard for me to watch and to, is so frustrating for yeah. me.
0: Yeah, and I I had a a doctor on on the show quite some time ago that was more or less saying the the same thing, and it seems like there's a whole education to go on there within within the medical field, and I think that that spreads out with the US. I've I've seen it happening elsewhere, so yeah, hopefully we've got some medical people listening in uh, mm. that can maybe take something from this. Yeah, I usually I usually ask uh, my guests what message they have for our listeners, but I would like to ask you what would be the top three tips you would give give us uh, in being able to maintain that normally eating? Mm,
1: yeah, that's a good 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 question. Well, number one, I would say to really work on embracing that it's okay to enjoy eating. It's okay to enjoy eating, right? And it's okay to eat as much as you want, which is really surprising in our world because so much is based on restraint. Mm. And we know that restraint does not help people. Um, Let's see, what else? Yeah, I think those are the big ones, Annie.
0: The big ones. It's okay.
1: Yeah, it's okay to enjoy eating. Mm -hmm. It's okay to eat as much as you want. Your body can be trusted. And that's a hard, hard for some people to hear.
0: Yeah, because of all that conditioned conditioned beliefs that we've been brought up wasn't here still today coming at us from tv and what other uh, uh, social media but do you have a message for the listeners any message or or would you be happy with those tips
1: yeah i mean um you know it's so i use an 8 to 12 session treatment model where we work Mm -hmm. on internal regulation around eating And the basis of that model, which it's really hard for people to understand and trust at the beginning, but it's important that you eat what you enjoy. Yeah. Because when you get satisfied, you get, you get to move on and forget Mm. about the food. Yeah. Um,
0: and also that metabolism kicks in. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's important to give yourself permission, right? Permission in eating instead of restraint. We know that people who restrain their intake end up living in larger bodies than those who don't restrain their intake. We know that, that from research. Yeah. That, that's
0: interesting as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So give yourself permission. It's okay to enjoy the food. All food provides nutrition. So provide, don't deprive.
0: Mm-hmm. Like those that one.
1: Some, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the key ones.
0: Yeah. yeah. Provide, don't, don't deprive. I like that. So if the listeners would like to get in touch with you, Paula, how, how can they do that?
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I have a little bit out there on social media, social media is actually not my favorite place to hang out. Um, so people could just email me directly, Paula at sunrise nutrition consulting.com. Okay. Uh, My, and that's my website, sunrise nutrition consulting.com is, uh, is where people can find me. There's a contact form there if anybody wants to reach out directly.
0: Fantastic. And you can send me that, that over and I'll certainly put it as always in the description, but I just really love to thank you for being on the show today. It's certainly been really interesting for me and I'm sure it has been for our audience.
1: Yeah, good. Thanks for letting me come on and talk. This is, this is an area that I'm super passionate about because I know what it's like to live without peace with food. Yeah. And I know what it's like to live with peace with food. And I just am so hopeful that someday everybody in our world can just exist with enjoying Mm. their food without guilt.
0: Well, you've certainly brought a lot of value to, to this episode today, Paula, looking forward to that going out. And I'd love to thank the listeners for tuning into this episode and tune in next Monday for the next episode of Let's Talk All Things LGBTQ+. Thank you.